This special episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy for you to bring your customers, audience, or community together online without the distractions or drama of other social networks. With your Mighty Network, you make the decisions, you set the tone, and you connect the people who share your interests and values. Your Mighty Network lets you build a private community, offer online courses, host virtual events, and even charge for membership all in one place under your own brand. Check it out for yourself by starting your free trial at MightyNetworks.com. A big part of how I do what I do is spotting patterns. As a podcaster, I'm looking for the patterns in the stories my guests tell me. As a business coach, I'm looking for the patterns in how a business is functioning or how a business owner is approaching a challenge. As a community builder, I'm looking for patterns in how people connect and ask for help. And as a producer, I'm looking for patterns in content, perspective, and voice. We have a lot of patterns when it comes to our relationships, and I'll spare you the impromptu podcast therapy session and assume that you've noticed some of yours. My own patterns include conflict avoidance, overgiving, and ghosting. That's my non-technical term for my pattern of just disappearing from relationships. I have good relationship patterns too. And of course, those don't make for entertaining and educational podcast episodes. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how small business owners are building stronger businesses without the shoulds and supposed tos. All this month, we've been examining the relationships in our businesses and how we make them stronger. We looked at our relationship with our customers, our relationships to our team members, and our relationships to our community and internet neighbors. We even looked at our relationships to ourselves and our businesses. This week, we're going to take a step back and look at the patterns that often make nurturing our relationships difficult. Now, a couple of these patterns are overt, and a couple are more stealthy. As you listen, I encourage you to pay less attention to the specific patterns and stories we're diving into today, and pay more attention to your own curiosity at how your own relationship patterns are at play in your business. You may or may not see these exact patterns and stories as your own, but I know that your own patterns are influencing your story. You're going to hear from four different business owners today, and I'll help you unpack the very common patterns that I see at play in each story. Now, my goal here isn't to pathologize or armchair diagnose. I just want to help you hear what I hear in these stories and celebrate the ways these business owners have overcome their patterns and made really great choices for them and their businesses. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Carla Reeves, real estate broker Paige Hyatt, coach and podcaster Sean Fink, and attorney-turned-community builder Ali Zecker. Let's start off with Paige Hyatt. Paige is a real estate broker and agent connector in Bozeman, Montana. Paige was able to work with a coach to help her unpack her pattern of over-delivering and overextending herself to get the kind of exceptional client service she prided herself on. Listen for what happened when she decided to try the opposite of this pattern on for size. I've been in business about six years. Prior to that, I taught design, marketing, and graphics at the university level and had my own design firm in landscape architecture. 
So my approach started out coming from a place of education and collaboration. I truly believed that by empowering clients with the information they needed about how the process worked, they'd be able to make the best decisions. What this didn't take into account was that real estate works at a much faster pace than other industries and a faster pace than most clients are used to working at. And different people need different types of information, different amounts of it at different times. So I ended up starting to burn myself out trying to make all of my clients a top priority, even those that weren't a good fit for me. I call it the hamster wheel hustle, meaning I was assuming that every person is someone that could be my client if I just worked hard enough. So sure enough, 2020 came around and at the beginning of the year, I was burnt out. I truly wasn't sure how I was going to continue providing the service I had been doing for the last several years. And I had lost my why. So what I did was I went and looked for a coach, but I didn't want a traditional real estate coach. I ended up finding someone to work with through the What Works Network, who's a leadership coach. And it quickly became evident that we were going to be doing some work on internal systems over the next year, not working on my business and the standard hiring practices and things like that that I thought we'd be doing, but really going deeper than those systems. So some of the things we work on were habits of bracing or overcompensating to provide and prove value. So I come at everything from 200% in order to show that my services or skills are so exceedingly better than other agents. I'm constantly putting demands on myself to be better, faster, smarter, whatever that is. So that was wearing me out. So recognizing that and then not fixing but recognizing when I was going off the rails and what caused it. So what was keeping me from staying on track with some of my goals in my business? Was it an unethical agent? Was it a client that I was providing high value to that wasn't perhaps understanding that level of value or wasn't quite ready to receive that information? So um, during all of this, my business was booming. Real estate um, was off the charts for a lot of people last year, and my business was no exception. So that was running in the background while I was doing this internal work. Then the next step became, okay, we have all of this data now. What do I do with it? How do I actually implement it into the day-to-day processes of working with a client, talking to them on the phone, and running my business? I've recognized the patterns. Now I need to apply the information. So one of the first things I did was I veered into the extreme. So I created an intake form that when shared with someone whose profession is to evaluate these forms and make them better, she said, geez, Paige, (laughs) you'd be lucky if anybody could make it through these questions. And I realized what I had done is I had gone off the rails into the other extreme. And it was really just to protect myself. I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't be caught up in those relationships with some of those energy vampire clients that I had taken on the last couple of years. So what I had to work on was getting back to a balance and understanding that I would make some mistakes and I would get some clients that maybe wouldn't be a good fit. It wasn't a perfect process, but I had to go to those extremes to find that balance. Some other things that I do now and don't do is I don't chase after everyone for what my friend and I call the kill. (laughs) Anybody that's in sales can understand that you get an adrenaline rush when you're able to share the high value information you have with someone and they get excited about it. There's something really satisfying about it. But not every person is the best fit for the information that I have to provide or for my personality. I can still passively serve large groups of people, 
through email campaigns, through the information on my website, through lots of other means, without actually physically being present and feeling as though I have to serve each and every one of those people. Another thing was seeking and then actually accepting the help that I had sought. So I have a fairly new support business mentor. And he actually called me out on this right out of the gate um, for not taking him up on the support that he was there to provide me. He said, hey, listen, Paige, this is going to be uncomfortable for you. I know this is new for you, but you're going to have to lean on me when you have questions. And it's time for you to start realizing that you're not alone in this anymore. And I thought, oh my gosh, I never even thought of it like that. But I have really been forging this by myself, trying to figure out all of these decisions it's okay to lean on other people. And lastly, I have been working on stillness blocks between clients and projects. So when I'm working with clients that I really love, I've been working to give space before and after my meetings and time with them. That allows me to reflect on our conversations, think about what we're doing together, gives me space to do additional research or talk to additional people so I can provide an even higher level of service. So those stillness blocks, the more that I practice those, seem to get longer and longer and more and more valuable and rewarding. So my business this year is now growing at a slower but more consistent pace. That takes some getting used to for me. But um, I'm finding it very gratifying. And now... I went from burnout this time last year to waking up in the morning and really being excited about my work. Over-delivering is such a common problem with small business owners, especially women. For many of us, the idea that a customer or client might be disappointed in us or what we offer is exactly what keeps us up at night. It certainly keeps me up at night. Paige said that to address this pattern, she veered into the extreme. And that's a common pattern too. I see business owners get so jaded or resentful of their own over-delivering that they go in the exact opposite direction and make it incredibly difficult for anyone to do business with them. Punitive business policies, impossible communication standards, and working relationships that take all of the flexibility and humanity out of the equation. These are all common ways that business owners try to guard against the habit of over-delivering. But of course... This isn't the real solution to the challenge. Boundaries are good, but brick walls are not. I love that the solution Paige discovered was slowing down a bit and finding some space to really pay attention to what her clients needed and what she really needed. If over-delivering is a challenge for you, could you try slowing down a bit? Is there a way to disrupt your pattern, if only briefly, so that over-delivering isn't your first response? And like Paige, could slowing down help you really consider what's needed in a given situation? Now, let's hear from coach Carla Reeves. Carla identified a pattern of avoiding conflict with a long-term client. It wasn't really a bad conflict, just a brave conversation that was overdue. Listen for how stepping into that conversation shifted their relationship. Gosh, I guess a couple of years ago, I was working with a client. I'd been working with him for quite some time, and he wasn't making the progress that I saw available to him. And I was agonizing about it from the standpoint of one, I knew there was so much more available to him and 
he wasn't advancing at the pace that I saw possible. And I was struggling with a financial exchange um, when I didn't feel like he was getting the results that he could be getting. And this was creating a lot of internal friction for me. And I have a commitment to walk the talk. I don't ask my clients to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so I was bumping up against my own integrity of wanting him to make this big, bold move in his life. And yet there was a big, bold move in front of me that I needed to take. And I knew there came a point where I just knew I had to be the one to make the big, bold move. And so I had to make a very tough decision. This was a client that had been a longstanding client, had referred a lot of people to me, which really helped me initially build my business. Um, so I had, so, you know, it was one of my favorite clients and, and one of my most referring clients. And so I went to a conversation one day with him and I told him that this was one of the hardest choices I've ever had to make as a coach, that I had so much love and gratitude um, for him and for all the people that he had brought um, to coaching and that I knew I had to make this choice because I felt like our relationship was reflect a reflection of, of what he was grappling with his, in his relationship. And I knew I needed to be the one to make the big, bold move. And so we closed the relationship for the time being very amiably. I think he was shocked and I think he understood. We stayed in communication um, every now and again. And it was quite some time. I, I can't really say how long, um, but he called me to report that he'd made a really big, exciting move inside of uh, this relationship in his life. And so much so that he was ready to pick up work together again to ensure that he stayed on track to what he was committed to. And for me, that was just a huge um, reminder of the power of clear communication the, it was a huge reminder of how important it is for me to take a strong stand for my clients, even if it means having to fire them or let them go temporarily, if that is in alignment with their bigger picture and vision, and that I must take care of myself inside of my business, that if there's something in me that has friction or is not um, feeling good and well, that I must make decisions and choices to take care of my own well-being because if I'm not okay, I can't possibly serve my clients the way I'm committed to serving them. And so seeing that our relationship actually reunited and we're working together again was also just showed me the value in making hard decisions for the sake of what is right will serve my business and my clients and me in the long run, that those decisions are important, even though they're hard, they absolutely uh, give back on all levels. 
I can really identify with Carla's pattern here. It's the fear of conflict that arrives in the form of a nagging sense that something in a relationship needs to change, but doing so could mean the end of that relationship. Carla flipped the story, though. Instead of continuing to worry what would happen if she ended the coaching relationship, she grew concerned about what would happen if she didn't. Would she still be in integrity? Would she be doing her client a service by continuing? As Carla said, the clear communication she used to end the coaching relationship actually made the relationship stronger over time. And acknowledging the truth gave her client the space to make the changes he needed to make. Now, of course, not all stories about clear and direct communication end this way, and not all conflict leads to stronger relationships. But here's what I've learned about conflict. Avoiding conflict never makes a relationship stronger. Avoiding conflict is a pattern that I'm working to rewrite this year. And yes, I know it's going to take a lot more than a year to get it accomplished. If this is a pattern you want to address as well, consider what your avoidance behaviors are. Do you disappear from a relationship when there's unspoken conflict? Do you try to tackle the conflict obliquely instead of head on? Do you let it fester and continue on as best you can? I do all of those things. For me, addressing this pattern is a combination of learning to spot it when it's happening and having a plan for how to make a different choice. All right, shifting gears a bit, we're going to examine another common relationship pattern for small business owners, trying to maintain relationships after they've run their course. This can happen with team members, peers, coaches, even our products or services, but it happens most frequently when a business owner tries to keep serving a group of customers even as that business owner is trying to move on. Sean Fink is a coach and the host of the Brave Yes podcast. She helps women navigate their Brave Yes moments so that they can live a life with more meaning and impact. But before Sean was coaching women through their Brave Yeses, she was gathering moms in her membership community, The Abundant Mama. In order to declare her own Brave Yes, she was going to have to decide what to do with the community she'd served for so long. So I recently pivoted my business. I had been a coach for mothers and had a membership community for eight years, eight amazing years. And what I found by the end of those eight years is that I had really relied on that small community to carry my business forward. I then had a bit of a midlife crisis and a lot of soul searching to realize that I was ready to pivot my business and come out as myself under my own name. And what happened is I had also begun to raise my prices because I began to really see the value in my work. In these changes, it became very clear that it was going to be hard to rebuild. It was going to be hard to reconnect with past people who might have outgrown what I had been doing and to lure in new people, because under these conditions in this marketing environment, it is really hard to connect with people. So I started to kind of get down and I really started to think I might not make it. I might fail. And quite honestly, I'm still not sure (laughs) if it's me or if it's the pandemic, but it feels a lot harder to connect with people, to get them to open your emails, to get them to engage, to get them to 
uh, move forward in um, a funnel. And so I was debating all kinds of actions. I was reaching out to coaches and I was talking to a lot of people and I was reading and, you know, there's ads that I could be doing or I could open up a Facebook community or, you know, there's no end to the options. But one thing that is always true about me is that I am a woman, I'm a coach of integrity And I always want to make sure that I am doing what is true and best for me and for my potential clients. So what I came to realize is that I needed to get over a visibility issue that I had and I needed to do it my way. So to nurture relationships in my community and to grow, to connect with more people, I decided to take a really slow and authentic approach since I do authenticity coaching work to help women be more themselves it makes sense that this is the route that I chose so what I started doing earlier this month in February is going live every single day to be generous and give to my community now it's easy for me to do this right now because it's winter in a pandemic and everyone is struggling and my work helps those who are struggling. But it also is helping me. And it's scary to get up every day, get dressed and go live. And yet it's working. I'm seeing the connections build already. I have amazing things to offer and I had been hiding it and they had no idea. So by showing up live every day and putting on my best self every day, I am creating a community. And that, I'll be honest with, I had not been doing for a really long time because I had that membership community and that was where my energy was going. When I knew I needed to end the community, the membership, I knew that it was because I needed to expand my capacity. I needed to expand my reach and I wanted to reach new people. And I couldn't do that as long as I was putting all of my energy into the membership community. This is not to say that I may not ever have a membership community again. It's just that that particular one was no longer working for me. And going live every single day is a huge risk for me as somebody who is uh, a bit of an introvert um, who likes to hide. Um, But I am just having so much fun with it. I'm allowing myself to be fully me. And I don't have much of an agenda when I get on other than to help heal this world and help heal where people are and to share who I am and my philosophy and what I'm about. And so far, it feels like it's working. I'm getting more engagement. I'm getting more connections. I'm getting conversations. Uh, I'm just, I just really feel like this is a long game and it's going to take a long time for me to build a community that actually feels like it's working, but it's very authentic and real for me. And so I'm willing to put the time in. And this is how I choose to nurture relationships just showing up, being available and being there for people and being generous. 
This desire to maintain relationships after they've run their course often comes up when a business owner is trying to become more visible, to reach new people, and to grow their audience, just like Sean was. I think it happens because business owners know that they need to show up ready for the new customers or clients they're hoping to attract. And to do that, they can't compromise on their positioning or messaging. But they also worry that their existing clients or customers will be turned off by the change. They worry, often rightfully so, that people will feel left out or left behind. And frankly, that sucks. No one wants to feel left out or left behind. And I don't think anyone wants to be the person doing the leaving. But it's often just the reality of relationships. Some have their time and then run their course. So to fully step into greater visibility, Sean needed to make the decision that her relationship to her community had run its course. And this is a hard decision for anyone to make. And just because it might be the right decision to make doesn't mean that there might not be grief or sadness, yours or other people's. But if old relationships to customers, to communities, or even to products and services are tying you up and keeping you from showing up fully in your next iteration as a leader, then it's time to move on. And this pattern can actually be really difficult to spot, although sometimes it's quite clear. So if you suspect this pattern might be at play in your business, ask yourself what relationships might be making it harder for you to move forward. What relationships might be causing you to hedge or stay lukewarm when it comes to what you want to be known for? What relationships might be straining your ability to be fully visible? Finally, we're going to look at an even more subtle but extremely prevalent pattern, and that's the pattern of only ever looking outward at your relationships and rarely inward at your relationship with yourself. Strengthening any relationship has to start with strengthening your relationship to yourself first. But as business owners, we are often conditioned to put everyone else's needs before ours. And if you were socialized as a woman, you get this twice over. Attorney-turned-community-builder Allie Zucker shares how she's thinking about her relationship with herself and how nurturing herself helps her nurture others. If you have a pattern of forgetting yourself as you try to cultivate your relationships with other people, listen up. I had a different story ready to contribute for this month's theme, sharing what I've learned about nurturing relationships with community members and clients. It was relevant and it was definitely more polished. But this quote from Stephanie Susloff made me pause and reconsider. Quote, you are your first customer. You can't solve problems outside of yourself. You must go inward and metabolize your experiences and share your learnings and gifts with others. She goes on to say that once you start walking this path and discover and love and care for your unique power, Only then can you harness the interrelational spaces between yourself and others with integrity. I sat with Stephanie's words for hours and kept coming back to them in the days that followed. She put into words what I'd begun to learn for myself recently, that when I start with my relationship with myself and act and communicate outwards from there, then and only then can I show up for clients, community members, and teammates authentically, effectively, and sustainably. I've started envisioning my relationships like Simon Sinek's Golden Circle, which he uses to explain how leaders like Steve Jobs and Martin Luther King Jr. were able to inspire rather than manipulate in order to motivate people. 
If you aren't familiar, the golden circle is a diagram of a bullseye or concentric circles. You start in the center with Y, which represents motives or purposes, and move outward to the surrounding ring, the how, representing processes or methods, and then to the outermost ring, the what, representing results or outcomes. In my relational golden circle, my relationship with myself is the innermost circle. It's the center. It's the starting place. When I am clear on my values, what matters to me, and who I want to be, I can think, act, and communicate outward. In the surrounding ring is my inner circle, which Nilifer Merchant describes as the people with whom you can share a struggle, and they can help you orient yourself back to your center. The ones who spot patterns to where you consistently care, where you like to add value. They remind you of who you are. These are people like my friend Danielle Maville, who I turned to when I was struggling with finding the words to share what I wanted to say here. Danielle recentered me and reminded me of my values. She also helpfully reminded me that I didn't have to have a quote-unquote masculine influence hot take. She helped give me the confidence to continue moving outward and share this story in a way that is authentic and hopefully effective. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's helping me remember that all my relationships are interconnected and that it's not selfish to put my relationship with myself at the center because, as Stephanie said, only then can you harness the interrelational spaces between yourself and others with integrity. I so often see business owners negate their own needs for the purpose of helping others. Sure, it's the obvious things like filling up your calendar or your to-do list for other people's benefit, but it's also things like not charging financially sustainable prices because you don't believe your customers can afford it, or allowing clients to mistreat you because you're afraid to lose the client. It's also thinking that every email needs to be returned immediately, or that you always have to be available on Slack for your team members. I am so glad that Allie shared that she's been working on putting herself in the center of her relationship circle, and that she emphasized how caring for her own needs makes her better equipped to be of service to others. If this is a pattern that you're working on too, I think taking account of what you really need from your business, from your relationships, and from yourself is key. So often, there's just a simple lack of awareness of how we're skipping out on our own needs. And by surfacing those needs, at least we can be mindful of our choices. Now, like any of these patterns, learning to recenter yourself takes practice. It is a practice. Some days you might be really successful and other days you're going to lose your footing. Since business is all about relationships, practicing disrupting these unhelpful patterns is key to creating a personally and socially sustainable business. And developing new patterns that are nurturing and thoughtful is key to building a stronger business. Next month, we're examining opportunity. How do you find your next opportunity? How do you decide whether or not to pursue it? How do some of the smallest changes create the biggest opportunities for growth? And you know, this weekend, I was thinking about how we are prone to waiting until opportunity comes to us, all nicely packaged and easy to use. We wonder if the new social media platform will be the key to growing an audience, or if the new trend in products or services will unlock a new level of revenue. 
but I find that the best opportunities don't come nicely packaged. Instead, opportunities often present themselves in messy ways, a series of what-if questions, a loose synthesis of seemingly unrelated information, or a jarring new perspective on an old problem. And I have found over and over again that the best way to notice these messy, half-formed opportunities is to put myself in the thick of other people's what-if questions and the hum of seemingly unrelated stories. I've discovered my best opportunities at conferences and meetups, as well as in masterminds, direct message threads, and even when I'm doing these very podcast interviews. We have a whole world of information at our fingertips, but what's really useful are the ideas that are filtered through our conversations and connections, curated social ideas that help us turn questions into opportunities. Of course, having that kind of conversation and creating that kind of connection with others today is hard. We don't have the in-person gatherings where it happens so naturally, and we don't have the online spaces where genuine dialogue occurs without the all-powerful algorithm getting in the way. And that's why I created the What Works Network four years ago. I wanted to make a space for business owners like you who wanted to have a chance to find their own messy opportunities and realize the full potential of the businesses they were building. I wanted there to be constructive, transparent dialogue about what was really working and what wasn't when it came to building a stronger business. And I wanted there to be a place online where business owners could truly meet each other and form relationships that serve them in a host of different ways. Now, the What Works Network is exactly that, and it's the perfect time to join us. When you do, you'll get access to the Stronger Business Playbook, which is a collection of templates, prompts, and ideas designed to accelerate your business building. You'll get access to our monthly deep dive, a guided exploration through an area of business building so you can focus on one thing at a time. And of course, you get access to the community, a global neighborhood of experienced small business owners sharing their learning, their questions, and their experiences. Plus, you're going to get access to our weekly support events, things like Q&A sessions, hot seat coaching, flash masterminds, and weekly huddles. You'll also get a ticket to our next virtual conference on March 25th, all about noticing your opportunity and taking action on it. At the What Works Network, we're building stronger businesses together in our own unique ways with our own unique goals, skills, and strengths. It's a place where you can do things your way and learn from how the rest of us are doing the same. And those are the perfect conditions for finding your next opportunity. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to get all the details and join us. Special thanks to What Works Network members, Carla Reeves, Paige Hyatt, Sean Fink, and Ali Zucker. Links to them are in the show notes. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Kristen Runvik and Lou Blazer. And special thanks to Shannon Paris for organizing our fantastic contributors. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, keep doing What Works.